Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Hello, Haley, and, and welcome back. We have another exciting episode in which we're going to continue talking about some Oscar-nominated movies. Yeah, and this one I really liked. <laughs> That's which is not to say that we, you know, won't like all of them. It's just sometimes, you know, some Oscar movies are are more entertaining than others. Yeah, the good, the entertaining ones are not the ones that get the awards. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> I know it's so sad, but true. So today's episode, we're going to talk about Coda, an Apple TV movie about Ruby, and we're going to get into that after the break. But I just love all the sort of high school awkwardness that we get to see ruby experience especially as you and i are both performers to a certain degree kind of going through that initial audition and stage fright experience it's it's a very specific one that i think a lot of people have some very strong feelings about Mm -hmm. yeah people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying according to some research yeah, and, and we can certainly imagine why, right? The sort of fear of public judgment or embarrassment that they might have to repeatedly experience over and over again if it goes poorly enough, hypothetically. And Ruby, we see just kind of deal with that initial fear of judgment. She's looking at people who are looking at her and she's, mm -hmm. can I do this? Um, and obviously we'll get into all the movie stuff, but, but Haley, I guess I'm wondering for you, is this something that you see as as a real problem like do we do you get people dealing with stage fright i know certainly people come into state for stage fright issues from time to time yeah no this is definitely a real thing that people experience again more people claim to be afraid of it than death but personally i could not understand that less from a personal experience mm. because to me i do not experience stage fright. Like there's nothing I enjoy more than putting me up in the spotlight and giving me a microphone. Like that is my favorite thing. So I know that it's a thing that people experience. It's just not one that makes sense to me. And I kind of sometimes will get butterflies at the idea of having to go up, but not in a way that mm. messes me up or makes me scared to go up or like makes me not want to go up or dread it by any means. But I do get this thing where my adrenaline gets so high that I actually like black out when I'm in the spotlight. And so I'll like mm. get off stage and I'll be like, I don't know what I did or said. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> but every single time it's ever been recorded, it was exactly what I planned to do and say up there. I just don't remember doing okay. it. Yeah. How about you? Do you experience stage fright or have any weird audition stories or anything like that? You know, it's so interesting because I think what I experience is is sort of like some of the physical symptoms of stage fright, kind of like mm -hmm. what you experience, like the what you talked about, like the sort of adrenaline. I get a lot of belly rumbles, so I got to be very careful what I eat and drink before a performance. Mm -hmm. And I get some of that thing that Ruby sees, like the sort of hyper focus on are people looking at me thinking and talking about me judging me so oddly enough i'm like much more comfortable in this audio format <laughs> where i don't have to worry about who is looking at me like what does my face look like should i have shaved all these sorts of very specific things where i'm very comfortable just talking Mm -hmm. people could ask questions you know i could feel like i could be great on the radio but as soon as I'm in person, I become very sort of like over analytical, like, you know, even on the rare things in which I've you know written and done stand up or done speeches and presentations and stuff. I will like make last second changes because like my brain thought of something different and then I get off on a tangent. Like, I don't know what happens and it doesn't feel like stage fright, mm -hmm. but 
does it feel like anxiety? Like it's like, oh my gosh, I, I have to change this. And then kind of like getting lost. It's not even so much I have to. I mean, it almost feels like a little bit of like creative ADD or creative ADHD where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like I wonder if, if I did this instead. And then if I haven't planned out how to do that other thing, I'm just like off on another track that I didn't prepare for. And I end up saying something weird or different that I didn't plan on saying. Um, I'll, I'll share a quick funny story because now I can't stop thinking about this. <laughs> so I was the best man at my brother's wedding, which best man, you give a speech and it's mm-hmm. an important one. It like kicks off the whole shindig, right? And I had like what I felt like was a pretty good speech in my head. And then what happened was... I get up there and I'm doing the speech and my daughter Bryn runs up to me and I like, Oh my God, she's here. Okay. I have to incorporate her into the speech. So I start talking about her and I'm looking at my brother and I just start talking about like, and that's why my brother is uh, Bryn's godfather. And that's not true. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he is not her godfather. And Brendan, if you're listening to this, you uh, we've been able to laugh about this now. Um, <laughs> but I might never live that down, I feel like. Why did you say that? <laughs> I don't know. This is what I'm this is what I'm illustrating is that if something unplanned happens, I like can't hold it together. I was going to say that sounds like anxiety. <laughs> it, I mean, look, I, I, it'd be hard to deny that. That's so funny. But yeah, so I like <laughs> said a lie and, a, and it was a nice lie and nobody called me out on it in the moment. Nobody was like, no, he's not, which I appreciated. <laughs> but oh, uh, yeah, I felt super bad about it. And... <laughs> I have apologized in many different settings since. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. So... No, nothing like that has ever happened to me. <laughs> Again, there's just something about given the opportunity to stand up in front of a group of people and talk. I'm like, yes, we all like the sound of my voice as much as I well, do. Well, yeah, and and like same in many ways. Like I I don't like just shut down the opportunity. I just don't uh, know what happens yeah. in my brain that like words and things start coming out out of order or like yeah. out of context it's not sometimes it's fine that's so funny <laughs> don't try crowd work don't don't do that <laughs> oh my so god funny. that's great advice it's something oh that gosh. i've thought about and i think it was i think it's a bad idea yeah, yeah i have found that when i get the most laughs in speeches or things like that that aren't inherently funny is when something goes wrong and I react to it that's always Mm. when I get like the most laughs even when I like plan to say something funny that never gets as many laughs as when I just like talk about what's happening just like natural reaction yeah so that's why I'm like I don't know that I can write comedy I can react really funny but I don't know that I could write comedy Mm. (laughs) unless I'm in a writer's room right because then you're bouncing ideas off people well, yeah, and there is something that's more reassuring about that experience. I think that's that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so who knows? We all we all deal with our weird creative experiences. Yeah. So, uh, so let's go talk about <laughs> Ruby's uh, very interesting creative challenges, and uh, we will do that right after this break. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Coda is a 2021 coming-of-age comedy-drama film written and directed by Sean Hader, now streaming on Apple TV. 
starring Amelia Jones as Ruby, as the only hearing member of a deaf family from Gloucester, Massachusetts. At 17, she works mornings before school to help her parents and brother keep their fishing business afloat. But in joining her high school's choir club, Ruby finds herself drawn to both her duet partner and her latent passion for singing. And of course, as we all know, CODA is an acronym which stands for a child of deaf adults, as well as a musical term that refers to a passage that brings a piece or a movement to an end. Mm -hmm. So a beautiful double meaning movie yeah. title. Yeah, perfect for this movie. Yeah, because Ruby's high school career is coming to an end and maybe her time uh, as the family translator and uh, fishing helper. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What, what do you call that that job? I don't know. There's like a specific <laughs> name for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched this a couple of days ago and I told you that this movie was devastating mm -hmm. to watch prior to you watching, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched it this morning. I don't know the last movie i don't know what the last movie was that had as many scenes in it that made me tear up mm -hmm. yeah i loved it yeah oh it's incredible and and even in like trying to retell the movie today to my wife because we weren't able to watch it together i found myself like struggling to get through the plot <laughs> oh, funny. so it's it's powerful it was yeah. definitely one of those i don't know if i texted you this or not but there's something about music that says what we don't have mm. words for. And I think that's really powerful in and of itself. But then also within the context of this movie, it kind of takes on double power because there's also moments where the way that she uses her body can say things that words cannot. And so it's like this really cool balance between being the child of deaf adults and being a musician that really kind of like parallel themselves in really powerful way that like, if you don't feel something and don't tear up, I'm intrigued. <laughs> it's so lovely. Well, yeah. And I think one of the things, and we'll probably jump around and think in this, in this discussion of this movie, because there are so many powerful moments from it mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll get through the plot as well, but we don't see in uh, pop culture, a lot of, really well done discussions or reflections of the deaf community. Yeah. Luckily, I think that's changing. I think so, too. Yeah. We, we had last year, we didn't cover yet, but we hope to, The Sound of Metal. So that also um, covers some of the deaf experience in the deaf mm -hmm. community. And then there's a TV show where the surgeon is deaf and she has like a permanent oh, okay. um, interpreter sure. with her. Yeah. So it's really becoming more yeah. popular. Actually, the actress who is the surgeon, she was the interpreter at the Super Bowl this year for the. Oh anthem. wow, yeah, and I do think in like popular culture at large, like little viral moments, like I've seen a ton of like interpreter videos, like people being really fascinated by interpreters who are interpreting for uh, musicians or rappers mm -hmm. or comedians. Like that's something that I feel like I'm seeing more and more of, which is great that interpreters are being used so people in the deaf community can enjoy the same entertainment we are enjoying. But I think when we get a glimpse into what life is like for people in the deaf community, like we do throughout this movie, it really man, it really makes you appreciate all of the different aspects of what that life is like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that we would be remiss to not talk about is the fact that what we're doing right now is not available to the deaf community, right? This podcast itself yes. is not available to the deaf community because you and I don't have the resources to have it transcribed or to have our posts have captions. Although- Every so often I figure out how to do it. but And acknowledging that if there's any episode for us to kind of, for us to make that happen, maybe it's this one. Yeah. Well, and it's a medium that's very popular right now. And mm -hmm. yep. people who are not hearing don't get to experience this in the same way that those of us who are in the hearing communities do. Right, much in the way that Ruby is so passionate about music and her yeah. family from immediately, as we start to kind of get a sense of what their family life is like. Not that they are 
so opposed to music as it just sort of has no value to them. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like something that was not part of their experience. And it, it's sad to talk about it in that context because we do see Ruby's father mm-hmm. really enjoying, I think she says gangster rap, you know, in the truck on the way to pick her up, partially because of the vibrations. It. And yeah. like, yeah, there are still things about it that they do experience and do kind of get that benefit from. But you start to really get a sense of the differences that Ruby, as the only hearing member of her family, has to navigate with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. So we start to see the very specific relationship that Ruby is is forced into. And you, you know, your first note was sort of the codependent nature of, you know, of like their this. relationship that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think what is really important for me to kind of explain with that note is yes. it's the need for codependence rather than yes. just simply natural codependence because they do need each other. Right. It is a, in some ways, a, it's hard to say positive codependence, but there's a utility to what they offer each other. Yeah, absolutely. Similarly to other situations, like if a child is the only English speaking member of a family with another foreign speaking language, or a parent who has a disability and their child is a caregiver, or parents work multiple jobs and an older child has to take care of the younger children. That like a very similar codependence to that where truly the members of the family are dependent on this in this case, the teenager, because of yep. what she can offer for their livelihood. Yeah. And, you know, we see them struggling with a lot of different things, right? We see little hints that they're dealing with financial issues and mm-hmm. can they afford to keep the fishing boat? And this is this is the father's livelihood. He fished and his father fished and his grandfather fished. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's obviously very important to him and to the family in general as well. So to keep that afloat, Ruby ends up serving a very important purpose. Mm -hmm. I found myself kind of wondering, and we didn't get so much of the history, like, was Ruby, you know, when she was born, almost immediately thrust into the role specifically on the fishing boat? Or was that something that probably I would imagine developed over time? But they did acknowledge some of the things that you talked about that Ruby did have to do at a young age, translating and things like that Mm -hmm. for them as she grew up. Yeah. She says at one point, I've been a free interpreter my entire life. And that simply just would be the case, right? We see it when they're at the doctor's office. Like there's no way this was the first time she has interpreted at a doctor's office, at a grocery store, at school for the teachers talking to her parents. Yeah. She's almost certainly not only interpreted on the boat, but also in every other area of their life. She even has to do it for for talking to her grandmother. Right. And her brother, at least, is defensive of her having her own life. And we see kind of the ways the different family members interact with Ruby's Mm -hmm. responsibilities around these issues. Yeah. But you, you pointed out something important and something we actually don't see in this entire movie, which is the family using other interpreters or using other interpretive services. I think the mom acknowledges that there's, you know, some frustrating things about the interpreter that they would use to to talk to grandma. Mm -hmm. We never see an interpreter in the doctor's office or in school or anything like that. And and you have to kind of really feel for the family and them not having the support that they need to take care of themselves and obviously then to take care of Ruby as well. Yeah. So I think... When you do have needs like this family has, and you're signed up with organizations like it sounds like the family is, you can get interpretive services. And that was what Ruby was like, use that. However, what, every time you talk to your mother, you now have to tell a stranger what you're saying. And that can Mm -hmm. be really hard. Right. That's hard coming to therapy the first time. So you come to therapy and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to tell this stranger what I'm feeling. And part of what makes that okay is meeting with them every single week and building a relationship Mm -hmm. with them. When you use these interpretation services, it's usually just whoever is on at that time. Yep. Or you 
pay for a private one. And obviously this family does not have the resources for that. And so Ruby gets to do it for free. Uh, Is forced to, right? She barely has a choice in the matter. Yeah, she certainly doesn't. Especially as it relates to the fishing business, you know, if she's not advocating for them, if she's not communicating with the fishmongers and things like that, it does feel like in absence of Ruby that they would pretty much be manipulated almost without obstacle. Well, and they also are not allowed to run a boat without a hearing person on the boat because that happens the day that the auditor or whatever it was, was on the boat and the Coast Guard called and they had no idea because they couldn't hear. And so they really, at that point, are immediately dependent on her because without her, they literally can't run their family business. They're legally required to have a hearing person and she's it. Yeah, and that sense of obligation, or then on the opposite side of that spectrum, blame of if she's Mm -hmm. not fulfilling that role, the sense that the rest of the family suffers or the rest of the family can't do the things that they want to do. That's a lot of pressure on a, what, 17, 18-year-old? Yeah, and I think it was really powerful of her, and I think some teenagers are able to do this, others would not be able to, to say, no, you do not get to blame this on me. This is not my fault. That was a really powerful moment for her to be able to say that and to also like kind of be heard by her parents when she said that. And then later when they have another conversation where she says like, this is exhausting. I've been doing this my whole life. I don't know that I can keep doing it. This is exhausting. Yeah. And we see the specific interactions that literally exhaust her, right? Whether it's waking up at three o'clock in the morning for the fishing boat to then start her day at school. Mm -hmm. She's already been up for a couple of hours, whether it's navigating the boundaries that the family sometimes has, sometimes doesn't have when it comes Mm to Ruby being home. There's a lot of things that as a kid, it's one thing to translate a conversation to the grandmother. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to translate your father's private medical issues to his doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, being a fisherman is a full-time job. Being an interpreter is a full-time job. Going to school is a near full-time job. Having hobbies on top of that, like she is doing multiple full-time jobs all day, every single day, starting at 3 a.m. Yeah, like, of course it's exhausting. And then also as you were kind of speaking to like embarrassing, like what teenager wants to have to tell her parents that they need to change their sex life. Right. Like that. Yep. To be fair. Like I got really angry that the doctor was using her as an interpreter. So when I worked at the local hospital, I was telling you, we were not allowed to, like we were not allowed to let children interpret for their parents. And I was like, she should not be in this position. And the thing is like in this situation, it was like embarrassing and like, okay, that's one thing. But also like if he had to translate medical information, she probably does not have the training to do that appropriately. And so to put that on her shoulders would be so inappropriate. And I was like kind of, and I reminded myself, I'm like, it's a movie. But, you know, in the past, I think that this is changing now, but that happens a lot. Like children often are put in the position of having to translate language for their parents. And in situations like legal documents or medical situations, and, you know, we can see a kind of best case of the worst case scenarios, it's embarrassing. At worst case, it's information that the child simply does not know how to understand and translate and the stress of that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we see her suffer as a result of that stress, right? She's falling asleep in class. 
it's hard to maintain the focus on school and her hobbies, right? She's almost at one point consistently late for her private singing lessons Mm -hmm. with Mr. V. She's also constantly showing up to school late. Well, yeah, and and this is not even to acknowledge, we barely see any like of the academics, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we can imagine that, and up until the conversations around Berkeley School of Music, she sort of says like, I don't know if she says learning is not for her or school's not for her. She said, yeah, I'm not good at school. Yeah, I'm not good at school. There's some acknowledgement that this is just not where she's supposed to be, right? And the reality of that not really being her fault, like if she was able to sleep normal hours and and have normal opportunities to, to do her work, school absolutely could be for her. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's only until it's, I can say it's not until she, you know, embraces her interest and love of music that she considers the possibility for other things outside of her family life. Um, as she said, she's never done anything without her family. So mm-hmm. trying out for the choir is a big deal, especially when she knows her family's connection to music is pretty tenuous. Yeah. So she knows that this is something that they can't understand. And still, she so badly wants them to share it with her and so badly wants them to understand it. And we see when she tells her mom about it, her mom just like rolls her eyes and brushes her off rather than joining her in that, which yeah, I think happens to a lot of teenagers. I think the number one phrase I tell parents not to tell their teenager is, oh, it's just because you're a teenager. Like the only reason you feel this way or the only well, this reason is just you're a phase. Is- yeah. Yeah. And her mom says that to her. Her mom is like, oh, you're just a teenager. You'll get over this. Yep. Yeah. No, she won't. Yeah, and it, it all seems to kind of play into what mom eventually acknowledges, which is that she wants a connection with Ruby, and and music probably feels like a threat to that, that this is something that she, at least on the surface, finds very difficult to connect with her over. Yeah. Mom says in that interaction, one of the most like painful things you hear the mom say is, if I were blind, would you be a painter? The implication mm-hmm. being... You've chosen to to do something, to pursue something that I cannot experience and that that's like a intentional choice, you know, a wound or, or a, you know, something that that is like going against her. And I think Ruby very rightly kind of says that it's not about her mom. It doesn't have anything to do with her as far as Ruby's concerned. Yeah. But parents have a hard time accepting that. Yeah. And you can understand why it feels like such a threat to her mom. That scene in the middle with the concert where they turn the sound off for us yep. shows you like how hard it is to enjoy singing without sound. And I think what was really well done about that scene is at the beginning, dad was like, she looks so good. And the mom was like, I love how her dress matches the curtains. And the three of them all kind of really relate to how she looks and the kind of general theme going on. But then after a while, once that kind of wears off, they start signing to each other, like, what do you want for dinner? And because where they're like the engagement ends. And I found myself thinking like, but she looks so happy. Like, why can't they love how happy she looks? But then when that scene went quiet, I noticed, oh yeah, after a while, okay, I get it. She's happy. (laughs) After a while, the visual part of singing wears off and you see her brother slightly more engaged because he has Gertie kind of saying like, she's good. Yes. And squeezing his hand to be like, oh, that was nice or whatever. Right. She's communicating to him about the show. So it keeps him slightly more engaged until the parents start to look at everybody else and how everybody else is reacting. And suddenly they start being more engaged. But again, that scene was so powerful because if you can't hear, the visual can only offer so much. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the more powerful scenes for me as well, because it was juxtaposed so well where we see kind of the whole audience perspective sort of aside from Ruby's family experiencing the concert. 
And then we're sort of transported into her family's experience. Mm -hmm. And I especially appreciated the mom seeing another woman cry uh, mm -hmm. while listening to the duet. Like it was so powerful. It was, it was eliciting tears and the mom just sort of, you know, I don't know if she was confused or just disconnected like from shocked. that or, or yeah. probably jealous. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, I can't understand or experience what my daughter is doing right now. Yeah. That was the first moment when they started to like look around and kind of see, mm -hmm. wait a minute, she's having this effect on everyone. And that was yes. kind of what brought them back into it. Because having your daughter's best friend tell you that she's good is like, oh, okay, that's nice. But then seeing like, a, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing a complete stranger literally move to tears by what your daughter is doing communicates like, this is good. And so it, it yeah, allows them yeah. kind of a, a looking glass into the experience, even though they can't experience it in the same way themselves. Yeah. And then following that, they kind of learn more about what's going on for her. They they interact with her teacher for the first time, who makes the embarrassing mistake in attempting to sign to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the sort of next most powerful scene, which I admittedly got a little choked up over, is the dad kind of wanting Ruby to sing to him or at least explain mm -hmm. the the song to him so he could have a little bit more of a personal understanding of, of mm -hmm. what the song was or what it was about. So she sings her part of the duet to her father and he, you know, puts his hands on essentially her vocal cords so he mm -hmm. can kind of feel the vibration of her mm -hmm. singing. And man, just, you know, it really, I think, hit home for me. And, and you and I think differed a little bit on how we sort of saw this. But mm -hmm. for me, it really spoke to this sort of sense of these wildly different experiences and this sort of, I don't know, maybe for me it was coming across as like emotional isolation or emotional disconnect of, you know, we're experiencing a lot of the same things, but just in ways that we can't possibly help the other understand, right? Like Ruby obviously knows her parents are deaf, but not being ever deaf herself all she knows is she loves music and of course she does but to help her father understand sort of what she loves about that song or what she loves about performing you know it's something that almost can only be felt mm -hmm. yeah i think for me the only part that was different than the way you viewed it that was that i at no point felt loneliness in this movie and you kind mm -hmm. of spoke about like that felt like a really obvious one for this movie. And to me, I felt like difference of experience without loneliness is what I experienced mm. in this movie was sure. you kind of said like, oh, they won't ever be able to understand or make the other person understand or something like that. And my kind of answer was like, no, they are able to without fully understanding. And that's, I think, why right. to me, it doesn't feel lonely is this family and her friend and ultimately her crush miles as well and then her music teacher yeah. all of these yep. people don't understand her experience and she doesn't understand their experiences but they seek to understand in a way that takes that loneliness away i think that was the only difference for me like when she said to her music teacher i spoke weird when I started school or whatever the word yes. was that she used. Yes. And he was like, okay, tell me what that means. And she's like, well, you know, he's yep. like, no, I don't explain to me. And then when she says like, you know, Oh, ugly. And he's like, okay, great. Make an ugly sound. And Make so an ugly he, sound. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't understand what that means, but he seeks to understand in a way that's like really meaningful. And I think that that's a lot of like what we do in therapy. For example, I said in the intro today that, Performance anxiety is not something that I know firsthand. However, like I've had anxiety and I understand the fear of being embarrassed about something. So I can like take what I do know and I can kind of put the pieces together and then ask you or ask my patient or whatever, like, well, what was that like for you? What does ugly mean yeah. to you? And seek to understand. And 
that's what we're all looking for, right? That connection of seeking to be understood rather than actually having somebody who knows your exact experience. Because I have found when people think they know your exact experience is when you often feel most misunderstood because you're like, well, no, mine's not exactly the same as yours. Yeah. So it's like so interesting, but I loved that scene as well. I thought it was really beautiful that they had a way for him to experience her singing voice. And I thought that was really sweet. A hundred percent. And then we, we finally see, you know, after the family experiences this choir, you know, performance with her that Mm -hmm. they don't want her to stay and be the fish boat interpreter for them. Mm -hmm. They do want her to have the opportunity to have something other than that. They don't want her to sort of pause her life as she offers to, you know, and, and I wonder, you know, maybe thinking about the the relationship with her brother in particular, mm-hmm. there was a really powerful scene between them when he kind of, he calls her St. Ruby, you know, because mm-hmm. she's sort of willing to sacrifice for herself and her future to kind of do whatever the family needs. And for him, it's like, well, no, he doesn't want her, number one, to do that for herself and sacrifice her own life for opportunities. But he also wants to do the things that she's doing for the family. He wants to step up. He wants to run the business. He wants to interact with all the other fishermen and and solve the business problems. Yeah. He, what the family, or what the parents do by relying so heavily on Ruby is that they don't rely on the skills that they do have and they don't develop the skills that they do have. And for example, Leo, he says like, oh, I can read lips. And then when the mom said like, oh, can you read their lips? He's like, no, not really. Well, he probably was at a point where he like was starting to learn to do it, but then no longer really needed to because Ruby was always around ordering beers as a seven-year-old. And so- Yep he didn't get to develop that skill or there was no immediate need to develop that skill. And so he didn't. And then his kind of sense of self was constantly being undermined. And he actually calls her out on that with that scene that you were talking about where she steps in and tells him that he's getting a bad deal compared to somebody else. And Mm -hmm. he was like, you're undermining me. Like you're not allowing me to get a good price for myself. And I think they're, that scene speaks to a lot, right? It speaks to a lot of the family dynamics of him really wanting independence and strength within the family and running everything. But then also it really speaks to how people take advantage of people who need a little bit of extra support. So this guy knows He's not, right, he's not completely ripping him off, right? Like somebody got 300, they were getting 250 or something like that. But they were like, oh, great, this guy doesn't know what we're offering everybody else because he can't hear. So I'll just offer him like on the lower end of the scale. And I think that truly does happen where people aren't considerate of others and, and do abuse it. And her family is not aware of that because they can't hear it. But she says some point in the movie, she's like, I have to hear, oh, I think it's when she's yelling at, I think his name is Miles. And she said like, I have to protect my family because I can hear that it's happening. They can't. So like when people are making fun right. of them or things like that, she's like, I, I can hear it. So I have to protect them. And, and that's the role that she ends up having to take is being really protective of her family. And it's really hard for the youngest person in a family to also be the one that's like, protecting and guiding the family yeah yeah and you know it's like because what what is you know we can we can go into like birth order and all these sorts of things but very frequently the the youngest is the one that's coddled or gets away with more or most like doesn't have as much pressure on them Mm -hmm. but for her to have this sort of opposite experience and we see some of the like high school teasing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get some hints of what happened to her in earlier grades with her speech, basically, mm-hmm. right? 
And then we get the sort of classic high school bullying, teasing thing after her unfortunate encounter with Miles and her parents. Mm -hmm. And then Miles, and that's all it takes in high school, Miles tells one person and then the whole cafeteria kind of knows what has happened between Mm -hmm. Ruby and Miles and her parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The way that, I mean, okay, first of all, I think that situation, the parents clearly overstepped boundaries that they should not have overstepped whether they are speaking english or speaking asl um and then when she walked out of the room they laughed about it so they like knew that they were stepping over boundaries which i was like all right like you guys have to bend so many boundaries for this poor girl every single day do it in the doctor's office if you have to but like this is an unfair time to do it Mm mm-hmm and it made me think that like, hi, I don't know that much about ASL, but I'm guessing that when you have to use your body to speak, euphemism doesn't really exist in the same way that it can mm-hmm. in spoken English. And so I'm like thinking like, if you're going to say something, are you being safe? There's probably like pretty direct ways to say it in ASL that is different when you're talking about like sex versus the, I don't know. I guess he did try to use euphemisms and something about the soldier. And then the like ASL for it was literally like a soldier, like trudging through the mud, which is like, Oh my gosh, this is making it so much worse because it is literally illustrating it. You right. You can't just like keep it surface level with the words, but it's like illustrating what you're talking about in a way that's tough. (laughs) well yeah and it did feel like this scene was played up a little bit more for comedy absolutely and who are we to say what should and shouldn't be funny but i do think you know you're right that if if we were just sort of watching this as a drama Mm -hmm. it's sort of horrifying right yeah for Ruby, especially, I think Miles and and it kind of seemed like he was okay. If anything, he was sort of laughing it off, which is sort of what turned into the more traumatic experience for Ruby that he maybe didn't think it was, it was much of a big deal. And actually, it was interesting because from his perspective, what he was noticing more than anything was Ruby's parents are in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he was jealous of that, you know, that from his outsider perspective, She had, I think he says, a normal family. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting to see, you know, different people's perspectives on what Ruby's life is like. Yeah. And I do think that's valuable for her, for kids who, you know, let's say experience their family a certain way Mm -hmm. to get that perspective. Yeah. 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 While I agree, I think there is power to hear how other people view you. I think that that whole take and scene of like, oh my God, like your family's great and your parents are so in love. I think that was Hollywood. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a teenage boy is ever reacting like that to a deaf family that he heard having sex Mm. and then they illustrated the whole scene. Like, I don't think a teenage boy is like, what I noticed is that your parents are in love. (laughs) Like, I, (laughs) I think that's very sweet and wonderful. And also like, I think that's one of the areas that they'll lose points on illustrating mental health. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 But I do agree with your point there, which is like, so I have always said that the superpower I would love is to see myself the way other people see me. Because mm. oftentimes people will say things like, oh, I remember when I was studying abroad, the women that I was with were like, hey, just go ask those people for something. And I can't remember what it was. And I was like, what? No, why me? And they're like, because you're not afraid of anything. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Mm. Like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> who? What? Right? Says who? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like equally as horrified to go ask whatever it was as these women were, but something about the way that I carry myself said like, oh, Haley will do it. And ever since that moment, I have noticed people react to me in that way since then. And, you know, this is like now a decade plus later. And it's always so intriguing to me to be like, oh, people see me as much braver and stronger than I see myself Mm. in the same way that 
as you just said, like it was powerful to for her to hear that this boy that she has a crush on sees her family as like a home that yeah laughs together and yeah. love each other and and she's meanwhile seeing the people that she has to right her job has become to protect them so like she no longer gets to enjoy what she's protecting as much as she has to focus on protecting and that sucks it does and obviously it's difficult to see her kind of go through these really a variety of challenges and i do think she's such a resilient character mm-hmm. and for her to be taking on as much as she does and you know for the most part makes attempts to set like effective appropriate boundaries Mm -hmm. with her parents she tells them what it's like for her you know that it's overwhelming and she tells them that she loves to sing so this is not Mm -hmm. someone who's you know hiding her emotional experience from her family i think that's that's where i kind of come around to what you're saying that this is not a a lonely person or a lonely experience Mm -hmm. i think what i'm sort of identifying is just that it's i keep coming back to the scenes where and even like the the climax right so the family takes her they wake her up and she thinks that she's going fishing and they are actually taking her to berkeley for her Mm -hmm. for audition right for Mm -hmm. berkeley school music and they can't come into the audition with her and she's late but they let her perform and it's like oh man this is so stressful and then who should show up to help her in her audition, but her teacher, Mr. V. Mm-hmm. So we we sort of start to get hope that this is going to go okay. And then she starts singing the same way when she struggled with Mr. V early on. So, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of my favorite moments from Mr. V, who, as as you noted, is a great, a great character. Very, very enjoyable. Uh, he intentionally best. screws up the piano uh-huh. so she can restart the song. Yeah, love that. And then she notices that her family is in the balcony that they've snuck in. Mm-hmm. And she initially, you know, as she's singing, is sort of having this deja vu of like, there they are here supporting me. Great, but not really able to understand or appreciate what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And then she takes it upon herself to start signing the Joni Mitchell song that she's mm-hmm. singing. And man, I mean, I think that was the one that that kind of got me the most was here it is this person who's becoming an adult wanting her family to really understand her love of music and really understand what she's experiencing uh, in a way that they can appreciate. And I think you you probably correctly acknowledge like, why weren't we doing this from the beginning? Why wasn't this something that was... Like, yeah. what was stopping them from doing this? Because it's a movie. You know, and that's whether that's a Hollywood moment or not. Yeah. yeah. There was that video that went viral of the little five-year-old at her kindergarten graduation signing the songs they were singing for her dad because her dad is not hearing. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so cute. And also, I was surprised that she wasn't signing at the concert for sure. for them. But again, it's a movie. But I think what was really powerful about the Berkeley scene is – This is the scene when the most is expected from her to not be different, right? Like she notices she's not dressed the same. So conform to the the heights of expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't bring her sheet music. And then her teacher walks in and starts playing for her. And they're like, this is highly unusual. Like what is happening here? And they've already written her off. And in that moment, it is in her best personal interest with regards to the audition to not sign to pretend that her parents are not up there. And she goes, Mm. you know what? Like, this is my love and my, like my experience of the world. And this is what makes the most sense to me. And so she starts signing the song because I think also at that point, she's kind of like, Oh, well, whatever, like miles choked, I'm going to choke, whatever. But she starts signing and what what I really loved about it was in that moment she became most herself and something that I said to you before we started recording that I actually hadn't even realized until I said it was that ASL is her first language she even shared that when she came to school she didn't know how to speak English very well because she hadn't really heard it that much but by five or whatever she was 
probably already speaking very clearly with her parents, which would have been ASL. So for her in this moment to sing while signing, that's probably like the most clear expression of who she is as a whole person. And it was fun. It was just really fun. And also, I love when people sign when they sing. I think it's so pretty. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the sort of depth of expression. And when you get both the sort of power of Ruby's voice, Ruby and the, and the actress, by the way, beautiful voice. Oh, love her voice. And along with the sort of signed emotion of the, the words and phrases that are being used. And it was a good callback to when Mr. V is sort of first testing Ruby out Mm -hmm. and he sort of asks her, you know, what does she get from singing or Mm -hmm. how does she feel when she's singing? And she says it's hard to sort of explain or hard to talk about. And instead she signs it and we don't Mm -hmm. even see the translation. Mm -hmm. But it's very clear what she's saying. It's so clear what she's Mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. Yep. I think that that's a really important message from this movie is that like, Communication does not need words. Yes, it makes it easier. Mm. But even words can be confusing because, you know, one thing that I've learned through my experience is that like even the same word means different things to different people. And so you can assume that you are both talking about the same thing, but you may not be. And we see some of the best relationships or the best moments in this movie are when people are communicating not clearly. So Gertie and Leo, like when they start flirting, yeah, they communicate a bunch before they even like start texting each other. And then, and then when she speaks to her, her teacher and uses the sign for it, it's like that he understood her when she said that. And, and I will often say to my patients when I'll be like, well, how did that feel? And they'll be like, I don't know. And I'm like, great. Does it have a sound? Does it have a color? Like whatever you want to name it, name it that thing. Whether it's like, oh, my gluh feeling. I'm all fine with sound feelings or like shape feelings because sometimes language falls short. And I often find that music and our body can fill in the gaps where language falls short. Yeah. And again, another thing I appreciated about the way they handled this stuff in the movie was the the arguments between, for example, Ruby's parents where, and again, I think I, I, I personally, I take a lot of these things for granted, but sometimes you can watch a movie and not literally watch it, right? Mm-hmm. You can just sort of, oh, I'm going to run and, and get a glass of water while this scene is playing. Yeah. But if you did that while Ruby's parents were arguing, you would have no idea what was happening. Yeah because they were having a very intense conversation in sign language. Yeah. And the silence of that conversation while the powerful emotions are being expressed is just something so unique and and no less dramatic, no less powerful, no less of value Mm -hmm. about the sort of things and the content being discussed. Yeah. It is just, it is... It's really something. I, I, I almost don't have words for, for that, what that's like, <laughs> because... Then the movie did its job. Yeah, it's, they did a great job. And, and I guess part of me almost wonders, like, if the subtitles hadn't been there, mm-hmm. like, almost like what that would have been like, because I do think, to a certain degree, it should be on the audience, right? We, we, should, we should want to know what they're saying mm-hmm. and maybe do some work ourselves to... Mm-hmm you know, educate ourselves. And I don't know, I think I was, I was very emotionally involved in this family. Yeah, there was, there was one line in the movie that I thought was the most powerful line in this movie. And it kind of just got brushed over. But Leo, when he's fighting with her, when he's trying to hide, he said, basically, he's like, you need to stop being the person protecting us and let them figure out how to deal with deaf people. And that's kind of what you're saying now, which is like, we didn't try to figure out what they were saying. We simply relied on the subtitles. And what I also liked was that the subtitles didn't show up the whole time they were signing. It kind of only showed up when they were done signing or something like that, which really left moments where we were just watching them sign, which I think is the deaf experience. Like, and the interpretive experience, you have to kind of wait until they're done talking and then you get to hear. And 
that delay does make conversation hard. I don't know if you've used interpretive services, but yeah. conversations literally take twice as long because everything has to be yes, said twice. Yep. And yep. and I really love that that he said, let them figure out how to deal with deaf people. Yeah. This isn't our pro- just our problem. It's their problem too. That's right. They need to figure out how to work with us just as much as we need to figure out how to work with them. And I love that line because I think it's true. I think we take things for granted yeah. and then think everybody else just needs to fit in with us. Yeah. So I, I hope that we do continue to get these stories because I think much like how we are trying to advocate for more you know, accurate mental health depictions, that we need more accurate depictions of, of other experiences, you know, not just um, deaf, but, but other ways to experience the world as well. Because mm-hmm. I think it really helps people not just sort of be grateful for what they have and what we have, but also like for, to find ways to relate and to find ways to want to connect with those different experiences. Yeah. I, yeah, I 100% agree. I found myself throughout this, like picking up on what certain words yeah. looked like in ASL and wanting to know. And I think, totally. I think I picked up on like how you do a plural versus a singular. And I was sure. like <laughs> talking about people and I was like pretty excited about that. But I think that's also speaking to kind of like what you're talking about is like, you know, wanting to take more initiative to learn about other people's experiences. Yeah. So I think it's time, Haley. I think we need to do some reviews Yeah. on a scale of one to five happy birthday songs <laughs> used as a way to, to determine what uh, range you are in the choir. How accurate did you find uh, Coda in representing a mental health experience like Ruby's? Yeah, I give it 4.8 happy birthday songs nice i think it loses that point too for just really little things that were needed as plot devices but were actually just like really unlikely to happen for teenagers mostly but also just kind of in general however i think they did so much so well this is a very healthy family the way that they engage with each other and yes they are highly codependent but like we spoke at the beginning not in like an emotionally codependent way. They're codependent literally in that they need each other because of their circumstances. And so I think that this movie really represented that as well as how it feels for a family who has that to let go of a child when it becomes time to let that child go. And that really speaks to like the, the way that it was represented in the movie really speaks to the difference between emotional codependence versus needed codependence, because it's that ability to let go and let the person individuate. And they struggled to let her be herself when it took away from when they needed her to interpret and things like that, but they were able to let her be independent when she was hanging out with her friends or eventually when they figured out what music meant to her and what that meant her future needed, they were also allowed, like able to let her go there. I think they showed how much, how stressful it is for her. I think they showed compassion for how people want to connect. Like the other fishermen want Mm -hmm. to connect with her brother and her dad, but yeah, yeah. But they don't really know how to. And then it's hard for her brother, for example, because he doesn't know how to as well and he can't keep Mm -hmm. up. And eventually they all figure it out because they all work together. But I think that I I think it did really good. I think it did really well. 4.8. Nice. Yeah. So how about you on a scale from one to five janky record players, how, (laughs) how entertaining did you think Coda was? Well, I want to say up front, I have not seen all the best picture nominees. I I hope to see all of them, but all of the ones I've seen so far, I hope this wins best picture. I agree. It won't. We acknowledge that it, but I agree. Probably won't. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I don't think I tend to get very emotional. You know, I, I've I have like a handful of movies that will always kind of get me there in terms of that like emotional tearing up, choking up moment. 
but I can't remember the last movie that did it as much or as intensely as this movie did. And yes, the plot has some like very sort of stereotypical Hollywood kind of moments and uh, the plot is, uh, you know, on the sort of predictable side of things. But, you know, I think it's just so incredibly acted. The story and the way it's portrayed and, and the family's relationships are so good. You know, I think matching 4.8s feels right. Oh, man. I would give it a 5.5 on entertainment. Just say, okay, you, you go through the five. <laughs> okay. I, like, I think this is the best movie that I have watched in a very long time, and I really okay. like Juan Song. <laughs> I think Apple TV yeah, yeah, yeah. is just creating incredible They're crushing stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like above and beyond 4.8 for me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 happy to support that. I yeah. as I said, I hope this wins best picture or at least, you know, some some other sort of acknowledgement along the way. So, yeah. kudos to everyone involved with Coda and we hope to see more like it in the future. I agree. So, thank you all for listening to another episode. We got lots of uh more exciting things coming up. Please check us out on social media if you have anything you want us to watch. Other can be nominated movies. It can be little things that only you think you've seen. And we can check them out as well Yeah. at PopPsych101. Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Send us questions that you want us to answer in the opening of episodes. That would be great. Very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll speak at you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.